Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to this Monday Loose Tales special report. It is the day after Easter. I can't imagine a better guest than Governor of Nebraska, Pete Ricketts. How was your Easter? It was very nice. I was able to go to brunch with my mom and my dad, and it was only the second time my mom had been out to a restaurant since the pandemic began. So it was a, oh. very, a nice milestone. And a nice laid back atmosphere. There's a very nice, relaxed atmosphere. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So uh, we, I have my month of April has absolutely just booked up like crazy because finally people recognize that there's a, a land grab initiative taking place. It's been taking place for quite some time. But now, thanks to an executive order signed on January the 27th, a climate change package, which part of that is a 3030 initiative and a net carbon zero initiative. And I have to say kudos to my governor. Pete Ricketts, the first person, the first governor anyway, to come out with a statement saying this is wrong. What are the updates on that and how do you see this taking place? Well, I think it's important for maybe folks who don't know what's going on with regard to this executive order is that President Biden wants to set aside 30 percent of the land and waters in the United States aside for conservation by the year 2030. And this would be devastating to our small towns and rural communities. And there's a lot of questions out there about how this would actually be done. Uh, first of all, being he doesn't actually have the constitutional authority to actually do this. He'll have to work with Congress to be able to pass a law, which means that we need to be working with our federal officials to make sure they're blocking such attempts. But also, you know, for example, are they going to just take land away from people without any sort of due process? Are they going to compensate them for it? If so, how are they going to determine that? Uh, you know, ultimately, this is going to be undermining all of our private property laws in the United States. For something that is really, you know, un, it's an arbitrary number. There's no science behind why he picked 30 percent. And obviously we have lots of our land set aside in national parks and so forth. So there's a lot more questions than our answers at this point. But we all but what we do know is that the idea just in general is a bad idea that we have to re remain vigilant to guard against, because uh, this is something that, like I said, would be devastating to our small towns and rural communities. If you took away you know, that much land, how are you know, if this is land that is currently private land that that goes into the property tax base, for example, which funds our schools and our roads. Uh, how is that money going to be made up? I mean, mm -hmm. there's just so many questions about this. And uh, from the you know trampling on private property rights to how we're going to fund our schools, the Biden administration just isn't answering. Yeah, there seems to be no limit to trampling on property rights at this moment. Yep, I would agree with you. It's very scary. Uh, one thing that I wanted to run by you, because I, I'll put the hard numbers together and present them to the public, but I continue to hear the White House talking about 12% of the U.S. is controlled by the federal government. If you take state and federal land, and fortunately, Nebraska is not one of the leaders. We're at the bottom of the list when it comes to controlled state and federal land. It's one in three acres, and they continue to report that it's 12%. I, I think they're intentionally misleading people. Yeah, I mean, we've certainly seen this, for example, with the Georgia voting laws, how the president said things are just factually not true. And in this case, you know, you've, you've probably heard the phrase, right, uh, um, Trent, there's lies, damn lies, and then statistics. <laughs> so <laughs> when you have statistics, you know, you can uh, cherry pick what you're talking about to leave an impression with uh, people in a certain way. And I think that your point is a good one, that there are lots of lands that are set aside uh, you know, here in Nebraska, about 95% of our land is private ownership, which is, again, why this 30 by 30 thing makes us so concerned. 
but there's also, you know, just nationwide, lots of land that is set aside for public use. And here in Nebraska, one of the way things we do, for example, with hunters is that we work with private landowners to give that uh, public access during hunting season as an example of how we try to accommodate. So I, I think the states are already doing a very good job on this, and we really don't need the federal help on this. And again, this is just part of an overall uh, agenda to grab more power for the federal government. Okay, so I'm going to take your bait on Georgia election laws, but before we go on, the other false notion is that land under the control of the federal or state government is somehow better for climate mitigation than land under private ownership. That is absolutely false. And I, I have a PERC data report in my hands on my left side that clearly states when farmers and landowners manage land, look at what's happened with the fires in the West. That's all a direct result of federal and state owned land that's not managed properly. And those fires contribute more to greenhouse gas emissions than anything any farmer or rancher ever did. Yeah, that's, you know, that's right. You, you just look at our farmers and ranchers were the original conservationists and they wanted to you know, preserve the land and their animals and take care of it so they can pass it on to the next generation. And your example about the fires in, say, California for, are, are a great example of how environmentalists blocked the proper maintenance of land on public areas that ultimately resulted in worse fires down the road. So, yes, private ownership. I mean, it's the tragedy of the commons, right, that we always talk about, that people who own private land will take care of it. And when there's land held in common, it is not cared for as well. Mm -hmm. All right. What, what exactly is going on in Georgia with these election laws? Well, the, the law that they passed in Georgia expands voter access, does a number of things. For example, it increases the number of days of early voting, uh, mandates in law, for example, 17 days of early voting for all counties, which was not the case before. Gives the, it mandates two Saturdays, which was not the case before. It mandates the or it uh, allows for the opportunity of two Sundays. So potentially counties could go up to 19 days of early voting. And uh, it establishes the drop boxes in law, which were only an emergency measure from before. Uh, so a variety of things that actually expand voter access, as well as integrity with regard to, you know, when you're voting uh, early or you know, voting by mail, you have to use your driver's license number and so forth to make sure it's easier rather than a subjective signature check. You can just, you know, track that together. And the president has somehow been making this seem that this is somehow a curtailing of voting rights, which is just not true. The president said that, oh, they're gonna close the, the polls at five. Well, what it actually is, is the early voting had said during business hours, now they codify that to say nine to five with the option of going 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. for that early voting. So the president's just wrong about what he's saying. He's factually just wrong. And he said, well, and you, and you just, all you need to know is they can't hand out water. Well, the reason for that in the law was that people were electioneering. They were putting stickers on, you know, you know, candidate stickers on water bottles and handing it out within 150 feet of a polling site, which is illegal mm -hmm. to electioneer, right? So right. this says election offices can distribute water like they did when I voted early in Douglas County. They handed out water. You can still do that. You just can't electioneer to do it. Um, and then let's just contrast this with some other states. You know, for example, Delaware has... Uh, uh, you you can't do no excuse vote by mail. In Georgia, you can. So Georgia's got greater access to voting than Delaware. Uh, Delaware, by the way, also has a, a voter ID law, just like Georgia does. And they only have 10 days of early voting, as opposed to now the 17 in Georgia. Uh, New York only has 10 days. Uh, they have, uh, again, Georgia, no excuse voting, not so in New York. And then New Jersey just signed a law that allows for nine days. So you can see that 
compared to some of these liberal New York or liberal East Coast states, uh, Georgia actually has greater voter access. So this is all a big misinformation campaign by activists on the left to discredit Georgia. And of course, it's having damaging effects when companies like Coca-Cola and Delta uh, or Major League Baseball pulls its uh, all-star game there. It's really uh, quite shameful that these organizations are reacting without actually finding out what the facts are. Is there a silver lining in the storm here in that you and I have talked for years about how, uh, whether it be the 10th Amendment or just states' rights, period, have been, uh, we've been too complacent. Suddenly, we're waking up recognizing that we need to hold our rightful place as the Constitution states. Are, are we waking up? Well, I hope we are. I hope people are getting exercised about this because it is very concerning about how the federal government is trying to expand their capacity or expand their authority here and getting involved in things that like, you know, states are the ones that are supposed to be managing uh, their election laws. Now, the president wants to change that. He wants to take away a state's right to manage election laws. And that's why he jumped on board with this and put out this misinformation about what these voter uh, integrity and access laws in Georgia actually did. So, you know, it really is something where I hope people are saying, hey, we got to slow this federal government down, that they are looking to trample upon the rights of states, which is, you know, again, what we all know, right, is that every state's different. Uh, what works in New York may not work in Nebraska and vice versa, and have the authority and the autonomy to be able to put policies in place that can be customized to the benefit of their people. And one of those arenas would be vaccination passports. Again, you came out and took a stand against vaccination passports last week. What do we do about that? Yeah, this, what I said is that the state of Nebraska will not participate in vaccination passports. This is something that really tramples upon, again, our, our ideas of freedom, of movement, but also upon our privacy. In fact, uh, anybody who did this might be in violation of HIPAA laws. And what I wanted to assure the citizens of Nebraska is that the state of Nebraska will not share your data. If you sign up to get a vaccine, we are not sharing that with anybody who wants to create a passport out of it. We're going to keep your your, 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 your privacy, your data private you know, to the state. And this is just in general that I think the idea of a vaccine passport for people within the United States to travel around is a bad idea. You know, certainly uh, countries may uh, require that to be able to get in and uh, perhaps the United States should consider that for foreigners that are coming to our country. We should require a, you know, a vaccine. Um, but, uh, you know, to travel around the United States for, uh, you know, our citizens, that's just not appropriate. I, I'm really concerned at the number of people and friends that I have who are saying, well, I didn't really want the vaccine, but I want to travel. So I'm going to get the vaccine just so that I can continue to travel. That is not the right reason to be vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, again, I think other countries certainly have the authority to decide who they, you know, to allow people in based upon uh, vaccinations. But traveling in our country, that's not something that uh, we ought to be looking at here mm -hmm. to allow people to go from state to state, for example. And, uh, you know, we obviously, certain states put in quarantine rules and still have them in place in uh, parts of the East Coast, for example. But uh, ultimately, this is really only for emergencies. And you know, the more that we let the federal government into our lives, the more it's going to get into our lives. So we ought to be very, very cautious about allowing big government type solutions like this. All right. Finally, and I say this because I, I've got a little map I want to show you here. And there is a great big glaring hole in this little map, which is a map of 19 states that now have a constitutional carry. 
Iowa last week became the 19th state. You see that blue section straight west of Iowa? Do you know what state that is? Yeah, that would be uh, our state, Nebraska. Yeah. That would be Nebraska. Why do we not? What's it take to make this happen? Well, we've had a number of bills that would uh, expand access for gun owners here in Nebraska. And our unicamera, our one house legislature, has always had the ability to filibuster those bills. So we haven't been able to generate the legislative uh, support to get them to my desk. You know, for example, uh, one of the things that Nebraska has is different local entities can require gun registration. And of course that potentially creates problems for people who are traveling with guns if they drive through that jurisdiction. Don't have to be registered, but then maybe run afoul with that law. Now, one would hope our law enforcement officers would use common sense, but you never wanna leave that uh, up to somebody's um, discretion. You really wanna have a codifying the law. So we've had, for example, a law that would prohibit local entities from doing that. And that even that was not able to get the sufficient number of votes to break the filibuster. So that's one of the challenges we've had with working with the legislature is uh, overcoming filibusters with some of this common sense um, legislation we've had to be able to streamline uh, what we're doing here in the state to protect gun owners. And we just not been able to get that done. So obviously many of my friends share concerns about uh, the infringement upon the second amendment rights from a state's perspective. What can we do? What do we need to do? Well, actually Senator Brewer has a, a great bill that would allow um, really put in, uh, you know, uh, uh, law, the ability to have the sanctuary counties. We've got about 31 counties, or about a third of our counties have declared themselves a sanctuary county. And this would be a law at the state level, really uh, putting the, codifying that in our state statutes. So that would be one example of how we could protect mm -hmm. gun owners here in the state. And again, it's, it's every time we try to do something like this, it's always a, a uphill battle in our legislature with our filibuster rules. So we'll just have to continue to work it and see where we can go with that. Uh, I might add that my home county, Sherman County, is on that list. Quite proud of my county commissioners at this moment. So that's good. Good. All right. Well, anything that I have left out as I take, by the way, do you have one of these mugs? You know what? Uh, you haven't offered to sell me one of those yet, Trent. So, <laughs> well, I would give you one, but it might be perceived as a bribe. So I thought I should sell you one. Oh, well, I can take gifts. I just have to, you know, report it. So it'd be clear them. All yeah. right. Anything else we need to know is, we come here the week after Easter 2021. What's our bit of optimism to part with? Well, actually, I, I, one other thing I, I would really want to encourage people to take a look at for the state of Nebraska here is um, we have our State Board of Education, which does not report to me, uh, is going above what the statute requires them to do and put in sex education standards into um, our grade schools and really teaching things that are just inappropriate, sometimes sexually explicit to uh, people that just not at the right age. And uh, some of the stuff are just things that are should be handled by the parents. Parents should make these decisions. Some of them are very some of them are very politically controversial. And so we're really calling on parents to to weigh in with the State Board of Education, which by the way does not report to me, but let them know that these standards just need to be scrapped. I mean there's just there's no there's not in statute any requirement for them to do it and it should just be scrapped. Uh, on the face of it. Uh, so that would be one of the things that uh, I would urge people. So to I didn't ask you, uh, not because I knew that they didn't report to you, but you re repeated that. So I know it's important. I didn't ask you about it today because I was under the impression that the public comment period closed last week on Wednesday. Is that not true? Uh, that's a great question. I, I think uh, on Wednesday last week was still open, but since they had the hearing on Friday, they may have closed that public comment. Right, but just but it's still not too late to weigh in. You can still 
get an email address for somebody, uh, send them an email, send them a letter, put in phone calls. I think I think they need to continue to hear from parents who are unhappy. And certainly we saw that on Friday. There were 60 people who uh, showed up, you know, parents who showed up opposed to it and uh, 16, only 16 people who showed up to support it. Well, I'm glad you brought that up and that uh, we, we go down that path because too many times people think that it's too late. Folks, it's never too late. Never too late to apply political pressure. And if you don't like what your governor's doing, make sure you send him an email as well. But Pete.rickatsandnebraska.gov. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I don't want to screw that up. What is your email again? Pete.rickatsandnebraska.gov. Shut the door on the federal government. That's the theme of yep. today's program. You can send him an email about that as well. Trent Luce, Governor Ricketts, thank you very much. I hope I see you soon. I hope Great. you get a Thanks mug. Thanks a lot, Trent. Loose tails, be gentle, stay firm.